I am sitting in lovely Siesta Key, Florida. I'm coming from Bangkok in Thailand. Prague in the Czech Republic. Cairo in Egypt. Auckland, New Zealand. London, England. Welcome to Career View Mirror, the automotive podcast that goes behind the scenes with key players in the industry, looking back over their careers so far, sharing insights to help you with your own journey. I'm your host, Andy Follows. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Career View Mirror, which is another of our side mirror episodes diving into a specific topic. I am coming to you from my home office in in the UK, and this is where I've recorded many of our podcasts from. And I've worked from this office for the last five and a half years since we set up Aquali back at the end of 2016. Uh, I've been working from home. My first experience was 1997 when I was a field based corporate sales manager for Rover Cars. And I worked out of my spare bedroom in Bracknell, also in the southeast of the UK. So I'm no stranger to working from home and I really enjoy it. And last month we had my wife and I took a trip to Valencia. I was able to work from there. I ran three of our virtual academy sessions for leadership groups that were taking place around the world. Uh, They were just as successful as they would have been had I been here or any other office for that matter. When COVID caused organisations to rethink their working practices, I was absolutely delighted. I saw it as a highly positive and long overdue development. My grandfather, both my grandparents, actually, both my grandfathers worked in mills in the north of England. And and clearly you had to be there if you're working in your in a mill. One was a felt hatter and one managed all the electric side of operating looms and, uh, and, and so on in these factories. And. Yeah, they clearly had to be there. If, the, if, you, if you weren't at your loom, you weren't producing. That was the philosophy. And, and fast forward a few decades from the time when my grandfathers were working in cotton mills or hat factories. And along comes Peter Drucker, who's known as the founder of modern management and who coined the term knowledge worker back in the 19, uh, late 50s, early 60s. And I became aware of that in the early 90s. And It frustrated me that we treated knowledge workers, we subjected them to the same leadership practices that came from that industrial age when we put people in factories and they had to be by their loom in order to be productive. That idea that if you weren't at your desk, if you're not at your desk where I can see you, you aren't producing. And then the invisible hand of COVID came along, didn't it? And it moved that thinking forward what, 10 years, 15 years into the future? That's how long it might have taken us to get to where we are. We might never have got to where we are right now had it not been such a drastic change, uh, a global pandemic. And I celebrated this epiphany in the way that leaders looked at people. They, they, They had to send them home with laptops and they found that the work got done, money got made, customers got served. It was all uh, a bit of a revelation. And I thought that was wonderful. I celebrated it. And the new freedom for knowledge workers finally getting given the, the trust and autonomy that we need and deserve. 
maybe you could sense there's a but coming. Well, here it is. My son started at university in autumn 2019. And by spring 2020, he'd been sent home to complete the rest of his year from here, watching lectures on a laptop and not doing any practicals. And he's a scientist, so that was a big loss. He didn't mind watching lectures on a laptop. He found he could watch them at 1.75 speed and get through them in uh, almost half the time. So that went down well. My friend's daughter had a similar experience. She was also sent home at the same time. And there was no question at the time amongst me and my friends that, or anyone I spoke to, that this was, this was not good. They were being disadvantaged by being at home and not being at university with their peers, learning together and getting the full experience. Then it came to their third year when they were doing placements. And for my friend's daughter, the experience was marred. She was working with a blue chipper organisation. She secured herself a fantastic opportunity. But that meant mostly sitting on the edge of her bed with a laptop doing her placement. And again, there was no question that that's not good. That's less than we'd have liked for her. For my son, his placement was at Wasps, which is a premiership rugby team in the UK. And for them, in spite of the pandemic, it was it was almost business as usual. They had to test. They had to test for COVID every day. But there was they had they came together and they trained together just as they would have done. And they played their matches, albeit not in front of a of a crowd. It seems from those two scenarios that where learning is concerned, most of us would agree that it's better done physically. We considered it disadvantageous that the students were kept away from their universities or placements. And it was unthinkable that professional sports team train virtually. So why is it okay for teams who work together in business to do that, to work remotely, separated from each other, choosing when and where they work? Do we think that what people need at university is no longer relevant on their first day in a corporate role? Do we think that teams in our organisations can achieve their collective goals without needing to connect and train together like sports teams? I absolutely understand the benefits that we're getting in terms of flexibility for individuals. I'm concerned about what we're losing by not being together, by not working together. We've made great strides forward in acknowledging that knowledge workers can be autonomous and responsible and deliver great results from home or elsewhere. It's swung too far now and we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And once again, it's the younger members of our organisations, of our society who are suffering the most. And they may not even know what it is they're missing because they've never had it. They've never experienced it. It's fine if you're very mature in your role, very experienced, you've been at the company for years, you've got a network, you know exactly what you're doing, you're loving 
not having to commute. You're loving being able to have more time to do things at home. And and I understand all that. If you're new into the organisation, you're new into the world of work, when you come off a Teams call or a Zoom call and you're suddenly just back in your bedroom and it's often a bedroom because if you're young you don't have lots of spare space in your in your flat or your house so you you're often just sitting in a bedroom completely plunged back into isolation there's no one to lean across to and say get a little micro lesson if you like if you're stuck on something you just need 30 seconds of a colleague's time to explain how something works or why we do something the opportunity to that to do that is much harder you're not going to set up a meeting with someone to ask them a simple question that you would historically have just lent across and asked them and you've no idea what other people are doing around you i interview a lot of people as you know and if you listen to the episodes you'll know that one of the emerging trends themes, if you like, that comes out of those conversations with people who have achieved a lot is a curiosity about the departments around them, what people are doing, wandering over, asking them why they're doing it, how it works. Can I help? Can I have a go with it? What are you struggling with? All that stuff that happens organically when you're working together in the same space that doesn't happen if you are working virtually. So we've got those micro lessons. We've got the the stuff we learn almost by osmosis. We know we learn so much from watching other people. One of the abiding memories I have from my time uh, at Alphabet in the early 2000s was sitting at my desk after hours, you know, it's probably around six o'clock in the evening. And our managing director, Richard Schooling, came out of his office and he's walking through and he came and sat down next to one of the more junior uh, team members and he was sat at that team member's desk alongside him showing him certain things on our system how it worked and how calculations were done and that struck me and stayed with me 20 years later so think of that what was going on there would that have happened if that young man had been working from home unlikely and would i have witnessed that leadership behavior of the most senior person in the organization sitting down with the most junior person in the organization and showing them how to do it would i have seen that model leadership moment if you like that leadership moment being modeled by richard schooling if i'd been working at home that would that's just one tiny you know split second example if you like of of a lesson that i saw uh, from being from being in an office environment and i'm how many of those happen in a day and we also see how not to behave of course from from watching people but when we when we shut down that virtual call and we're back in isolation we don't see what's going on around us and we don't benefit from the energy of other people in the room either i'm not sure whether you've ever been to a gym but i confess if i go to a public gym and there are people in there working out there's a good chance i'll work out a little bit harder than i would in my own home 
because there's a sense of wanting to make an effort because there's there's people around but there's also an energy a common energy in the gym that you feel you can tap into and a motivation there's all those people motivated you can feed off that energy and that's the same in a workplace which is buzzing so that's another thing that we're we're missing out on and then what happens is i think i've got no measure nothing to compare myself with. So I might think I'm working really hard and I get to my checkpoint or my annual review and I I, I I tell my boss I've done, you know, I think I've done really well. And I'm completely oblivious that some of my fellow teammates are working harder, faster, achieving more than I am. So th- there's... Um, this sense, this lack of awareness, risk that people don't actually understand where they're sitting, how they're doing, uh, how their contribution measures up to those of to that of their colleagues. So many, many things I think we're missing out on by not being in the uh, in the office together at the same time working and mostly younger people, less experienced people who are really missing out the most. And I think we might be forgetting how much of being at work is about learning from each other, being motivated by each other, supporting each other and so on. So how can I as a leader be very intentional about how I lead my team to make sure that we're mitigating the potential risks of our new way of working whilst maximising the autonomy, the flexibility and the opportunity for individuals. My thinking on how to tackle this leverages Aquiline's own paradigm relating to the four fundamental factors that, along with appropriate effort, contribute to enabling fulfilling performance for an individual team or an organization. I explain our fulfilling performance paradigm, where it's derived from, and how to apply it in episodes 60 to 62. What I'm about to say will make a lot more sense if you've listened to those short side mirrors. They total 40 minutes across all three of them. So 40 minutes in total. Obviously, we're not going to go back to how we were. So if this idea resonates with you that we may be overlooking some significant benefits of working from an office, What can you do to mitigate the potential losses? Step one, consider team members as individuals and view their needs through the lens of the fulfilling performance paradigm. Their blend of current needs will be unique to them. For example, if they've been in the business 20 years, they'll have different needs than someone who's new into the organization. So treat them as individuals, step one. Step two, identify those elements of fulfilling performance that require or benefit from being together in the same physical space. So those elements that require us to be together in the same physical space in order to uh, flourish. And step three, be intentional about creating opportunities for team members to spend physical time together with the express intention of addressing those needs. It's not enough to say everyone has to do one or two weeks, one or two days a week in the office. If the right people aren't in the office together or they're spending their time in the office on virtual calls to people who are not in the office, that's not going to be effective at at addressing the needs that you've identified. And as a final note, some people may not be as keen on this as others. People don't necessarily stand to benefit equally from the decisions you make. 
But teams are not created for the benefit of individuals. We bring people together to work in teams so that, as my guest Alan Harris recently reminded us, the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts. I hope this has provided some food for thought and given you some next steps to support you to be more intentional about how you make the most of hybrid working without sacrificing all the benefits of people working closely together. As usual, I'll be interested to hear what resonates with you. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to episode 74 of Careerview Mirror with me, Andy Follows. This episode shares some thoughts on our new way of working and urges some caution and intentionality about our leadership decisions to make sure that we create environments that enable fulfilling performance for all team members. We publish these episodes to celebrate my guests' careers, listen to their stories and learn from their experiences. This episode of Careerview Mirror is brought to you by Aqualai. Aqualai's mission is to enable fulfilling performance in the auto finance and mobility industry. We use our very own fulfilling performance paradigm to help you identify what steps you need to take to enable fulfilling performance in your business. Contact me directly if you'd like to know more. My email is andy at aqualai.co.uk. And remember, folks, if you know people who would benefit from hearing these stories, please show them how to find us. Thanks for listening. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hardworking you are, you're never going to be able to do it on your own. It's just not possible. You know, at the end of the day, you're steering your own destiny. So if it's not happening for you, you're not seeing what you want out there, then go out there and connect. Don't rely on others. You you have to do it yourself. You have to take control. If you've got an idea, if you've got a thought about something that might be successful, if you've got a passion to do something yourself, but you just haven't quite got there, do it. Take a risk, take a chance, stick your neck out. What's the worst that can happen? You fall down, okay, you pick yourself up and you try again.